Welcome to the Fern Podcast, As the Season Turns. Released on the first of the month, each episode follows the changing landscape of the seasons, from the moon and the stars to the tides and the trees. I'm Leah Leindertz, author of The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide, and this podcast is a collaboration between myself and Fern, makers of small-batch organic perfume, who blend, barrel-age and bottle four fragrances a year, released at the equinoxes and solstices. I love wearing fern. In my quest to live in tune with the seasons, applying the season's perfume is a lovely little ritual that reminds me to use all my senses. We hope that this brief guide to the month ahead will awaken you to the rhythms of the year and help you to settle deeper into the seasons. The Sunrise On September the 1st, sunrise is at 6.17am in Inverness and 6.33am in Padstow. Mornings are drawing in. Nights are lasting longer. September the 19th is Ganesh Chaturthi, the Hindu celebration of the birth of Ganesh. And there is a very famous story about Ganesh and the moon, which may well have occurred in the early hours of the morning after a long night of celebrations, not long before dawn. The benevolent, wise, elephant-headed god Ganesh had a terrible sweet tooth. One year on his birthday, his devotees plied him with his favourite sweet, modak, a delicious coconut and jaggery-filled dumpling. Ganesh could not resist. He ate and ate until his belly was even fuller and rounder than it normally was, and that was going some. Finally, he waddled off slowly through the night, with more modak gathered up in his clothes. Now in these days, the moon shone full and bright all month long. But despite his way being well lit, he tripped and fell, tearing his clothes and scattering the sweets everywhere. The moon, who was vain and regarded himself as very handsome, had always thought Ganesh looked funny with his little short legs and his big belly. When the moon saw Ganesh looking so undignified, he fell about laughing and tears ran down his face. And this sent the usually gentle Ganesh into a rage. How dare you laugh at me, he bellowed. You think you are so beautiful? I curse you to disappear from the sky and never show your face again. The moon was mortified. No one would ever see his handsome face again. He begged Ganesh for mercy, and Ganesh quickly softened, but he knew that he could not take back his curse completely. There will be only one day each month when you vanish from the sky. And after that day you will grow until you reach your full size, then shrink back to nothing again, he declared. And that is why the moon waxes and wanes. In the Pond The last days of summer are here, and on the pond it may seem as if not that much has changed. Foliage is still lush. Brooklime, water forget-me-not and duckweed almost cover the pond. There are even a few water lilies blooming. 
But the energy has changed and it is quiet on the pond, with breeding activity over. Dragonflies will not fly for much longer. Having completed their life cycle, the adults will die when the weather turns colder. Most of the eggs that they have laid on the water have sunk into the mud at the bottom of the pond and now enter diapause, a state of suspension in which they will stop developing. Some will hatch and overwinter as larvae. But food is scarce in winter and they are vulnerable to starvation or predation. While toads make their migrations to the pond in spring, newts do it this month. These are the newts that have just reached sexual maturity. They have been living on land, under rocks and in log piles, and have been eating slugs, worms and insects since crawling from the pond up to seven years previously. Incredibly sensitive and picky, they are able to sniff out and avoid ponds containing fish, while choosing those with the perfect acidity levels to give their offspring the best chance of success. They will overwinter in the pond, ready to breed next spring and summer. Around the pond, the first twinges of gold are coming into the leaves. Meadow brown butterflies settle and sun themselves, but they too will not be around for much longer. The first daddy longlegs are flitting around in the late summer sun. Wasps have been expelled from their nests by their queens as they prepare to overwinter, and they will soon die when the weather chills. But for now they search for sweetness in the garden's fallen fruits. The grass is long, the wildflowers are seeding, and birds, hedgehogs, mice and voles gorge on them and drink from the edges of the pond, their footprints left in the mud at the edges. In their various ways, every creature is now preparing for the colder months ahead. To enjoy this month in the garden. Ornamental. Dahlias, Michaelmas daisies, Fabina, sunflowers, gladioli, spindle, scabious, echinacea, helenium, rebecca, phlox, cystus, autumn crocuses, crabapples, cyclamen, crocosmia, cannas, ornamental grass flower plumes. Edible. Blackberries, apples, pears, figs, damsons, loganberries, autumn raspberries, plums, red currants, tomatoes, aubergines, courgettes, chilies, peppers, sweet corn, melons, pumpkins, winter squashes, main crop potatoes, kale, thyme, mint, dill, oregano, marjoram, cobnuts, hazelnuts, walnuts, wild damsons. In the herbarium, the writer is holding a feather. Small and brown, it rests light in the palm of her hand, stirring under her breath. She puts her face closer, and with the other hand, lifts a red stem, adorned with lace-like pale green leaves. She sniffs each one, sets them aside, and begins to record her findings. Herb Robert 
to me, an innocent bystander of the verge and garden flowerbed, with his dainty pink flowers and pungent scents, turns out to have a chequered history. Geoffrey Grigson, in his book An Englishman's Flora, puzzles over the sheer number of names for this plant, listing well over a hundred. These range from the sweet to the sexy to the downright smelly, including little bachelor's buttons, chatterboxes, kiss me at the garden gate, mother thread my needle, stinker bobs and stinking jenny, to name but a few. Beyond these, there's no getting away from the number of names that reference the robin, and herein lies Herb Robert's dark intrigue. It has red stems, reminiscent of the robin's breast, and plumps itself down close to the house as robins do. Both the bird and the plant belong to the goblin, Robin Goodfellow, a hairy little sprite, often wearing red and carrying a candlestick. The plant's hairy seed pod completes the set of features in common, shaped as a bulb holding aloft a narrow stem with a red tip like a flame. Robin Goodfellow is not the most friendly of the house-haunting spirits, unless you leave him a dish of cream, and his unlucky nature extends to the red-breasted birds. Be kind to a robin and he will protect your house from lightning, but if you kill him or destroy his nest, your crockery will break and your cow's milk will turn to blood. Robins are also aggressively territorial, and if you have Herb Robert growing in your garden, you might have observed the same land-grabbing behaviour in the plant. The most striking complaint about Herb Robert in old herbals such as Gerard's is that it has a most loathsome, stinking smell. I don't agree, since the scent of the plant trodden underfoot is as nostalgic to me as that of mown grass or the melancholy wood pigeon singing, I love you, I do. But a robin did once fly into my flat, unbeknownst to me, until I turned from my desk and saw him watching from the bookcase. In the long chase to usher him back out through the balcony door, the stink that emanated from his flapping wings was truly terrible. Perhaps, then, this reek is a feature of the robin that has been unfairly passed to his plant counterpart. Robins are also famous friends of the gardener and materialise like magic as soon as the spade is out and the earth is turned. It's been alleged that this is a relationship brokered only with English gardeners, but I find this hard to believe. It's certainly true that, earth turned or left to harden, Herb Robert will find a way to accompany you about your garden brightening shady corners and sending up a scented reminder of his presence should you brush past him unawares. September's Island, the Farns and Lindisfarne. 55.622 degrees north, 1.628 degrees west, two kilometres east of Northumberland, England. Islands between 15 and 20, dependent on tide. Permanent population, zero. The Farns, like many of the islands we have encountered in this series, have long been a haven not only for wildlife, but for human spirituality and for storytelling. Their wildness and isolation have inspired a rich history of communion with the Christian God, while the legend of Grace Darling the lighthouse keeper's daughter who rode to rescue survivors from the wreck of the Forfarshire, captured the imagination of early Victorian England to become one of our coastline's most enduring stories. The farm's position, 
just off the coast of windswept Northumberland, has long been strategically important. Frequent Viking raids during the 8th and 9th century devastated the Christian communities there, particularly on Lindisfarne, where St Cuthbert had lived, and where his preserved body was rapidly becoming central to a powerful cult. Viking raids on the Farns escalated to the almost total conquest of what we now know as England. By the year 880, East Anglia, the Midland Kingdom of Mercia and Northumbria had become the Danelaw, under Danish rule, and so they continued for almost 100 years. Though the Farns have produced reams of human history, their population of seabirds and seals has always outnumbered that of people, and the same is true today. Aside from National Trust rangers, the Farns are uninhabited by humans. In spring, the islands form a vital breeding ground for seabirds, including eider duck, arctic tern, puffins and the very rare roseate tern. But in autumn, when the birds are all out at sea, the Farns' internationally important population of grey seals comes in to have their babies. In September, the first pups are born on the Farns. White, fluffy and inexorably fat, these charming creatures sometimes seem a world away from their parents. Dappled grey seals have almost cat-like features, with a rounded profile and whiskers. Their very flattering Latin name, Halicurus gripus, means hook-nosed sea pig. Like all seals, greys are athletic in the water, where they live the majority of their lives, but ungainly and comical out of it, rolling and flubbering their way from beach to waves and back again. For the next two months, up to 3,000 pups will be born here to set out come winter for the rich feeding grounds of the North Sea. Like the monks and Vikings who came to the farms, the seals will travel extraordinary distances and will return next year to repeat the cycle again. Some ways to mark the autumn equinox. Make an autumn altar, a bowl of produce from the garden, a bunch of late summer flowers in a jar, rose hips and acorns, orange candles. Plant tree seeds in pots of garden soil and keep them outside. Many tree seeds need a winter of cold before they will germinate. Look forward to the spring equinox when you will hopefully see the first shoots. Fill a spray bottle with water, one teaspoon of vodka and 25 to 30 drops of autumnal essential oils. Then shake it up and spritz it around. Try cinnamon, cedarwood, cardamom and ginger. You may wish to pause the podcast here for a moment while you find somewhere warm and quiet to close your eyes, sit back and settle down just for a minute into this month's Found Sound. For September's Found Sound, I travelled to Cornwall to catch the end of the summer sun. After something of a soggy summer, 
it's no wonder people have come in droves to enjoy a cloud-dappled afternoon at the beach in Bude, a seaside town in the northeast of Cornwall. Families build sandcastles, surfers head for the waves, and seagulls snatch chips from unsuspecting sunbathers. As the day draws to a close, those of us who stick around long enough bask in the golden light of the setting sun. All becomes quiet, save for the deafening roar of the Celtic Sea. September's perfume ingredient, Oris. Oris is one of perfume's rarest and most miraculous ingredients. Made from the dried, powdered and distilled roots of bearded iris, the rich and distinctive scent of Oris, velvety, suede-like, a hint of violet, something of milk and earth, connects us with the global history of perfumery. From ancient Japan, where roots were hung up in houses to ward off evil spirits, to Egypt, to Greece and Rome, to medieval Florence, where the iris fluttered on the city's coat of arms, iris remains potent, both in myth and reality. Part of this ingredient's mystique comes from how it's made. Far from the clinical setting of the lab, where most modern fragrances are synthesised, Bearded iris is deeply rooted in the soil in which it's grown and intimately connected to the people who tend it. After three to four years of flowering, the roots are dug up by hand. Scentless, they must now be matured for another several years. Once mature, the roots are powdered, ready to use. This powder has many uses. It forms part of the base for potpourri, and is a key ingredient in Ras Alhanut, the world's most complex spice mix. It has anti-inflammatory properties, and as such has long been used in aromatherapies and traditional medicines. For fragrance, the powder is mixed with water and distilled by steam to produce a semi-solid oil, sometimes known delightfully as oris butter. Fern's forthcoming Autumn 23 fragrance, a collaboration with chef and farmer Julius Roberts, is their first to feature Oris, in a special accord inspired by the scent of a fig tree on Julius's Dorset farm. 
To sign up to the waiting list for this exciting new fragrance, visit fern.co. The Sunset Sunsets in September can feel a little sad. In Somerset, the first sunset of the month is an hour earlier than it was a month ago. So for September, as we head into this final quarter of the year, I have concocted a little dusk ritual for you to gird yourself, if needed, against this march towards the dark months and the passing of the equinox. On a clear evening around the equinox, take a candle or a match. Go outside, perhaps up high or in the open, somewhere you can watch the sun go down. But if you're hemmed in by trees or houses, that's fine too. Just try to find a patch of sunlight to follow as it shrinks. Watch the sunset, admire its colours, so glorious and golden in early autumn, and let yourself relax. You could give yourself five or fifteen or fifty minutes, whatever you like. Absorb the warmth of the sun, breathe it in. Try not to take photos, this is a different kind of magic. But once the sun has dipped below the horizon, or your patch of light has vanished, gather up that warmth, that light, those colours. Feel them in your chest and arms and fingertips. Now light up your match or candle. Watch it glow. Imagine the sun flowing into it. Feel its warmth on your face and hands. You can do this as many times as you like, both now and in the months to come. Turn on a light. Feel the promise of the returning sun. A little incantation to carry you through as we step out towards the winter solstice. A reminder that though we are far away now, our hemisphere will tip back towards the light. September's Moon Phases The last quarter moon will fall on the 6th of September at 11.21pm. The last quarter moon rises around midnight and is at its highest point as the sun rises. The new moon falls on the 15th of September at 2.40am. The new moon rises at sunrise in the same part of the sky as the sun and so cannot be seen. The first quarter moon falls on the 22nd of September at 8.32pm. The first quarter moon rises near noon and is at its highest point as the sun sets. The full moon that falls closest to the autumn equinox each year is called the harvest moon and this year it falls on the 29th of September at 10.58am. It will also be a supermoon, the final one this year. The full moon rises near sunset, opposite the sun, so in the east as the sun sets in the west. In the fields the sun has set, but the moon is still up, silvering the edges of great machines, left standing overnight between days of hard work. You wander along the edge of a field to reach a meadow, where below a great tree, a singer is plucking out a song. <coughs> okay. The Welsh word for September is meti, 
and Meti actually means uh, to reap. And this is a song that's to do with that, with the agricultural calendar. And it's called Adurnurtan, which means the fire thresher or the steam thresher. And it was written by a farmhand in uh, the 19th century. And it describes this, the steam engine that was used to uh, drive the, the threshing machine that really revolutionized um, agriculture where it was before a very, very tiresome job to separate the, the grain from the stalk of the crop. But now this machine uh, did that, but still required a lot of uh, manual labor to run it. And yeah, yeah, the song describes this very exciting day when the steam thresher comes to the farm and um, a lot of people there working hard, but then they have a big feast at the end of the day. Um, so yes, Tan, the fire thresher. Ovawen, ruinam deferoin, why that's all Gisha can. Are you destined? Vikonan of Sevardur not a turn or time. Omar Bressir, we the Durnot, Panapidan Tehratroi are in farmer. Vidan Quaidi, come on, boys, and the Androi. Daya Honor, Medanini on Elchitavli Raining Quina, an angfretting god, a skipper not of our. Right, Caltain, a trio than yon, Hedrio Cravion, that's a quest, Panapidan. Dechra Hurni will forget ya well And binacos, he man hovi or right galini carrieris, veuna chevnin, a quite a maman and of yawn gal job the mees. Chia widoch, a corquil nissal, save darling your kinion nice kigathatos, half lump putin at the pimbach Gorfan, Roshuleva, Ernat, you hin and love. Lawar Shankin, Aro, Putsan, Rupio, Evil. Weddy Gorfan, Rosh Helint, Gwellir Paube, Mindra, Hemziagatra, and Vinetic Paube, Piqua, Harigan. Wedi gorfan yr oselint Gwelir pawb yn mynd rach yn tiag adra 
and we netig pau by bikwa harigan. Thank you for listening to this month's episode. Please do like and subscribe. All episodes are released on the first of each month. I'm Leah Leindertz, and if you enjoyed this podcast, you will also enjoy my book, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2024, which has just been published. This year's theme is The Garden. As the Season Turns is produced by Jeff Bird and researched by Catriona Bolt. In addition to my own contributions, Zoe Gilbert, author of Mischief Acts, wrote and read The Herbarium. The folk song was played by Welsh musician Gwilym Bowen Rees, who also provided music for the intro. Alice Boyd is the sound recordist and designer who is travelling the UK through the year to make field recordings for each month's found sounds. This podcast has been created by Fern. Fern is an organic fragrance maker based in Somerset. Working with the rhythms of the seasons, they blend, barrel age and bottle four fragrances a year. Each fragrance is made to order for the names on the Fern production ledger. To join the ledger and find out more, visit www.fern.co or visit the link in the podcast description.